Hey everybody, this is Matt Fendora, and you're listening to the Choose to Live, Love, and Grow podcast, the show that provides tools and insights to help you become the best version of yourself, focusing on mind, body, heart, and spirit. Without further ado, let's begin. Welcome back to the Choose to Live, Love, and Grow podcast, a podcast all about being the best version of yourself through mind, body, heart, and spirit. Today, we are here with Stephen Horn. Steve is a men's ADHD coach and mentor working both online and one-on-one in Scotland. He helps men master their ADHD to live happy, frustration-free lives. Some of Steve's proudest accomplishments include four years in the Scots Guards, working closely with the royal family, co-founding a hugely successful bar in central London, completing his coaching diploma and going all in as a coach, overcoming mental health problems, suicidal depression, and alcohol issues, and thriving after his ADHD diagnosis in 2020 at age 45. What makes Steve's heart sing? Nature, music, food, travel, learning, laughing, and loving. Without further ado, here's Steve. How are you doing today, Steve? I'm very well, Matt. Thank you for having me on the show. That's a very nice intro. I'm really excited to have you on today. And to, uh, I mean, we've talked before and we, you you have this uh, just natural charisma about you where you can just have a conversation and that conversation can just keep going and going and going. And that's what I'm looking forward to is just having that uh, unique conversation with you about where you've been, um, how you've been, your your journey going through as a coach, Um and so one of my first questions, um, really intrigued with uh, the four years that you were in the Scots Guard. So I'm curious, how was that experience for you? Um, the Scots Guards, right. That was a that was a huge learning curve for me because I had up till that point I was I was still at school. I'd only worked um like paper round, you know, getting up in the morning, delivering papers, delivering um milk and bread and stuff like that so i never had a full-time job and then i decided that i i was going to join the military to get away from the village that i lived in scotland because there wasn't a lot going on there and the military seemed like a great exit you know to get away like a fresh start and a huge step forward to get away from um, the situation that i was in at home and also the the, the village because like I said it was there was not a lot going on and, and I just thought I needed to get out and see the world otherwise I would stay trapped in in this area for the rest of my life and I, I didn't want to do that so I went to the military age 17 my parents had to sign the paperwork because I was too young to actually do it without their approval um they, they were actually a bit miffed about it because I was in the air cadets while I was a teenager so I was always assumed by everyone that I would if anything go to the the, the air force mm-hmm. so I just um freaked everyone out by coming home one day and said I'm joining the army and no one could could understand why but I didn't have great eyesight so I was never going to fly mm-hmm. so I thought well if I'm not going to fly then I might as well just join the army so my, my original choice was to join the 
the Army Air Corps. So in that way, I was still involved with aircraft because obviously they they um, have all the helicopters. But the Air Corps had a huge waiting list, and I was in no position to be sitting around waiting for a year or, or eighteen months or whatever it was to to get away. And then, um, then also the engineers, the Royal Engineers, that was also had a huge huge waiting list. So my third choice was the Guards. I've always been very interested in um, the parade side of the cadets and doing all the drill and and um, you know all that kind of that kind of thing. So then I went to the guards. That was a huge wake up call going into the guards because one minute I'm at home, and then the next minute I'm in basic training, and the guards training is uh, 23 weeks, so six months of training which is a long time to be getting basically, well, I suppose abused really, which is, you know, getting, getting shouted at from morning till night and, you know, all the things they have you doing. So that was, that was hard. It was hard, but then I, I passed the training and then I, I realized that the, the real training actually begins when you finish your training. You know, you think, yeah, the training's over. That's going to be me done now, but then that's just the beginning. You know? mm -hmm. The training began when I went in there. So I went into the guards at 17 years old, didn't have a clue about life, didn't have a clue about people, didn't have a clue about anything. And then there I am with all these, you know, grown men um, teaching me the way of the world. So that was quite eye-opening. And um, I did a lot of great things in, in the military. I did a lot of really great stuff, stuff that I, I look back fondly on. Uh, but I suppose... Working with the royal family was was a really big part of the work we do. I mean, we're a frontline infantry regiment, but we also do all the ceremonial stuff for the royal family, trooping the colour and stay open in Parliament and um, like well, anything sort of military that's to do with the the royal family, the, any sort of state visits or anything, you get to do that. So. I was posted in London for quite a majority of it and it got to the point where I was thinking, right, I think I've got enough of this now. Maybe that was a sort of early ADHD thing that I didn't quite know about, but I just thought, right, I've had enough. I need to I need to change this up. And again, my parents were like, But you've just you've just got going. Like this is your career. Why you you know, this is you sort of safe in here, other than like going to war. You're pretty safe in there for life as a, as a job. Mm -hmm. So they were bemused as to why I was suddenly going to pack it in after all the effort I'd gone to to starting. It just seemed crazy to them. I, su I suppose it, well, it's crazy to most people that you would put all that effort into something and then just want to change it up. But then, like I say, that was maybe the first signs of my ADHD really making decisions were making me choose my the path of my life based on just this inability to stick to things and I, I realized from four years in the military that I was going to struggle to try and stay in the military and get promoted up the the ranks because certain things I found difficult so I thought I'm going to either end up staying a, a grunt for my whole career or I'm going to just get out and do something else and I'd already proven to myself that I could do it and I suppose I was trying to prove to a lot of other people that I could do it because um, 
I felt always felt like I had a lot to prove because I struggled at school with uh, any kind of academic stuff. So in order to show that I wasn't stupid, I would always go out of my way to prove myself in other ways. So that, that was me. I, I did four years and then I decided to get out and um, I was still I stayed in London when I got out. And then there I was at 20, what was I, 2018, 22 or something, 22 in London and absolutely no idea what I was going to do with myself. My first question would be, was there a highlighted lesson that you had in your time in this in your four years in the Skarsgård was there one lesson that you learned that seems that memory seems higher than the rest a lesson or a memory <laughs> wow that's a hard question that's a really good question but a really hard one so many lessons just so, so many so many things that I I picked up there that I still I still do you know so many little behaviors that I picked up I suppose to just always do your best I mean, you you always, I mean that that goes back further than the military. I mean, I, I that was when I was in Cubs, that was always their motto: like do your best. But I suppose that carried on in the military, you know, because you, you don't want to let yourself down. You don't want to let your comrades down around you. You don't want to. You want to always do your best. They, they don't allow you to slack off at any point. You can't just have a bad day. Even if you're not well, you still have to do, do your best. Mm-hmm. So I suppose that that's the a lesson I I sort of carried on. What was it you said? A lesson and a, and a what? What was the other one? Or a memory? I have a, a, a sort of a period of of memory that is not just one specific thing. When I first joined, well, was, I'll, I'll explain the story a bit more. Every year, the royal family to get away from the world and escape, they go to up up into this estate that they have in Scotland called Balmoral. And basically no one can get near them. They can do whatever they want up there for a few months. They don't get seen. No one's allowed to fly over and when they have it's to take pictures in a helicopter, it's like um, the airspace is banned. Um so they can just get away and, and and just be themselves for a few months. And the first posting that I got to do when I joined was to go to Balmoral with the royal family. And that was that was pretty special because it not everyone got to do it. Only a small group of us got picked to do it. So it's very rare that your regiment gets selected, and it's also very rare that you get selected from your regiment. So that was one of the, the biggest I wouldn't say magical, but it was one of the most special, that's the word, special mm-hmm. memories I have of the military is that is that time. Because it was well, I mean, like I said, not long left home, and then suddenly I was doing that and spending all this time with the royal family while they were basically on holiday. Mm-hmm. So, we, so we were we weren't really doing anything military at all. We were just sort of hanging out with them and making sure that everything they were doing on the estate went well. We were going out deer stalking and uh, beating the the birds for the bird shoots and bringing the stags back off the mat off the mountains and butchering the, the stags. And so it was like an unmilitary thing, you know, it was still military, but it was a very odd post thing to be doing that. Mm-hmm. And then on Sundays we'd have to go to church. Not that I'm a religious person at all, really, but uh, we would go to church on Sundays. 
with them and go to sort of dances at, at, at the at balls and things on the weekend. And it was a very privileged experience to get to do that. And at the time, I suppose I took it for granted. I mean, you do when you're young, don't you? You take things for granted. And I, I think I look back now on it and think, wow, that was a really, that was a really special time when I got to do that. So I, I think that's the memory I look back on is that three month period of doing that because it was just a really fun fun time and, and a, an experience in the military that is unlike any of the other time I served. So what did it look like for you after doing that for four years and then transitioning? You said you were in central London afterwards, correct? Yeah. Well, I was living, you know, in the, in the military, everything's taken care of for you. You just have mm -hmm. to turn up and not screw up. And then that's, that's, that's everything done. And then suddenly I'm, out of the gate of the camp with my bags, going to stay at someone a mate's flat in some little freezing cold, dingy room with with my bags. Never ever lived away from home. Um, not really sure what I'm doing. I have some sort of part of job lined up, but it's pretty flaky and and not really a career or anything. And and very quickly after me leaving, I like think two months after me leaving that job shut down um and so then this quite shaky plan i had then just disintegrated into nothing and i had no clue what i was doing and it looked like oh my god i'm gonna end up moving back home and be right back where i started you know when i was 17 and went to the army and i've just had four or five years of my life wasted and there i am back at home in the same village that I left, like mm -hmm. a failure. So it did I did get in a bit of a, well, there was a lot of worry, but at the same time, I was still very young, only in my early 20s. So it was just like, oh, who, you know, something will work out. Just that blind faith and naivety, I suppose, that something will just turn out right. So how did you get going after that then? Um, well... I started working on because because I've been in the military. There's a there's a big part of the military that goes on to do security, like door work, personal security, that kind of thing. So I got my doorman's badge, and then I started working on the door at Planet Hollywood in the West End of London, like the central tourist place in in London right next to Leicester Square. So I was working there, just telling everyone how long they're going to have to queue up for their chicken burger. And um, it, it was it was, it was was not exactly... I mean, it, it seemed like a fun job because you're there with all the, the public and you're hanging out and there's lots of excitement and celebrities turning up and everything. But it was a very poorly paid job and um, obviously you're standing outside for most of it. So... It was. I was thinking, wow, is this is this going to be me now, just working security jobs and freezing my ass off for? Because it's not a very, you know, you get treated quite badly by people. People can be quite abusive, and it's not a pleasant job at times. Mm -hmm. So I, I then, I then thought, I then realized there's people in in the restaurant making like three times, four times as much money as me cleaning tables and, and stuff like that and I thought what that's 
I couldn't turn the money down. So I just steered myself towards the money because I, I needed to make more money to survive. I wasn't, mm -hmm. I, I was barely surviving. And then I went, I got a job in the restaurant. So I went from standing on the door being like the focus of everyone's attention, people getting pictures with me, to then working in a restaurant, not speaking to anyone, just bussing tables covered in barbecue sauce. But then I was making more money. So it, I, I thought, right, well, I'd, I'd much prefer that. I just had to swallow my ego and then just get stuck in, in there. And that's how I got sort of into the hospitality side of, if in my head, I got into that, you know, with bars and, and restaurants rather than thinking about the sort of security side. I then took my my mindset into inside the, the business rather than standing outside. And that's when I, I then left Planet Hollywood after a couple of years and actually thought I want to, you know, get get into a bar and work in a bar. So I started working at a, a bar, um, and, um, a nightclub. It was like a sort of a music venue that after the bands had finished would turn into a nightclub. And, that, and I'd never worked in a bar at all, so I just sort of lied my way into the job because I knew a few people that worked there. And they sort of went, oh, this is Steve. Like, he, you know, he's a friend of mine. He's bartended before, but I'd never bartended. And, and I got a job there, and then, and then I loved it. That's when I realized, like, I really like working in bars. I really enjoyed the – so, again, I was still quite young. So I, I enjoyed the energy, and I enjoyed the, the hustle and bustle and all, and, and all the, the people. And, and then also the, the, the music side of it. Because there was, like I say, it was a it was a music venue. So every night it would be at least two or three bands, if not sometimes five. You know, wow. six nights six nights a week. So that's when I my love of live music kind of um, infected me. I'd always enjoyed music since I was a kid, but I'd never been around that much live music before. And that's what sort of opened my eyes up to all different styles of music, not just rock that I'd been into since I was a kid. I, it, it turned me on to country music and blues and all kinds of stuff like that. So that's when I thought, started thinking to myself, right, I'd really like to have my own version of this, you know, get myself having my own business, own bar, own med, venue, something like that. Then uh, my business partner at the time was, was working at the, at the, board, at the, at the venue that, that we worked together. So that's where I met him. And then when we both left that place, we decided, okay, let's try and open our own place. Mm -hmm. That's how we ended up with our own, like the, the bar that was right next door to that place, actually. So we started that place. So that's how I got from the army, like through from the door to the, to the restaurant, to the bar, and then to having the bar. How long did you have your own bar? I was part of that for 17 years, 17 years. So quite a long time. So what, what made you want to leave the bar scene? For, well, for years, I was, I was not enjoying it. You know, one, once I, the bar had become very, very successful. And I, and you know, we were hugely popular. We had like, all kinds of celebrities coming into the bar. Um, it was it was tiny tiny little bar, but it was sort of infamous across the, the globe. So I I just became very unhappy after a certain point where I just realized like I don't really feel like 
this is what I want to be doing. I don't feel, I, I felt very inauthentic with what I was doing. I felt, I just felt an empty, you know, sort of empty feeling every morning, just going into work and spending time with people just drinking and, and staying up till all hours of the morning. And that's not what I really wanted to, to be doing with my life. I wanted to be more more fit, more healthy, up early doing stuff. I didn't want to be going to bed at 5 a.m. and being hung over every day. Mm-hmm. So I was hanging up, hanging around with all a whole cert- circle of people that I would have preferred to be not hanging around with. And it it, it, take, it, took, it just took a toll on me, a mental toll, physical toll. I felt like, um, I felt very drained. And like it sucked a lot of me in, into it. And and I sort of lost a lot of myself on, mm. on the way. And then I got I got really ill and um and there was a lot of other stuff going on as well, but I I just got really ill and I just and I just had to get out of it one way or another. Because I I, I, I couldn't I couldn't carry on with my lifestyle the way it was. And I also didn't want to carry on with that biz that um industry afterwards i just i just thought no 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 no, no. I, I need to completely re not not reinvent myself but i need to completely re reconnect with myself and find mm-hmm. out what it is i'm what i'm doing on this planet i'm not here to throw tequila down people's neck that is not my my purpose mm-hmm so what led you to being a coach then? Was it this this transformation of you your recognition of you're not doing what you want to do and you need to find that purpose and reconnect with yourself? Was that when you made the decision to become a coach? It was just a sense of feeling so lost and also so ill. I was I was I was so ill, like I was I was in a bad, bad way. And I started. I, I I didn't really know where who to turn with turn to because, like I said, a lot of the people I was hanging around with were not the kind of people that were going to help me out of that situation. They were just going to keep me in that situation. So, I then thought, right, what do I know that what what, what can I trust and what do I know for sure is going to be good for me? So I spoke. I started focusing on my physical health and going to the gym. I mean, I'd gone to the gym, but like just mucking it around, you know, not ser- taking it seriously, convincing mm-hmm. myself that I go to the gym like two or three times a week. But I wasn't in any shape or anything because I was still drinking like a lunatic and mm-hmm. eating and myself like a, you know, just eating like a pig. So I wasn't in any shape. So then I thought, right, I need to sort of put my attention here and you know, I remembered my military training and stuff like that. So I, I, I remembered what it was like to be hugely fit and and training seriously. Mm-hmm. So I started going to the gym seriously where I was living. I'd moved out of London by this point, And I was living in the middle of nowhere in the countryside. So I was trying to escape my my uh, bar life and, and, and that sort of, you know, the lifestyle and everything that went with it in London. And I also had to move away from that. So I started training and the guy I was training with, he he was like no other fitness trainer I'd ever met before. He spoke differently, like he said things differently. He asked 
questions, which which I thought that's a, that's a weird question. And then, I, and then I was like, what is all this stuff you keep saying? What are all these words and these, you know, these powerful questions that you keep asking me that you make stop me in my tracks? And he's like, oh, well, that's coaching, man. I'm like, what coaching? <laughs> I thought coaching was just like you know for a for a football coach or a you know hockey coach or whatever or you know singing coach I didn't know it was what a life coach was or anything and I and I was like well I don't need life coaching you know I'm I've got to this point I, I know what I'm doing but I clearly needed life coaching more than anyone at that that, that I knew at that time mm-hmm. so he he then did did a life coaching session with me he said I oh, do you want to actually give it a try and see what's like and he did that with me and I thought wow that's really that's a really cool thing I've never experienced anything like that and he said, Steve, I really recommend you do the the coaching course that I did. It will change your life. I was like, if I don't be a life coach, what are you on about? And, and he's like, no, 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 no. Trust me, just do it for you. Not even you know, not not to become a coach, just do it for you. Because it will the, the training will change you as a person. Mm-hmm. And then no matter what you do after that, you'll be a better person from the coaching. And at the time I would have done anything to get myself out of how I was feeling because I was massively um, unwell, suicidal, you know, drinking myself to death. So I took his advice and I signed up to the next, the next course, the next coaching group that was coming around. And very quickly after beginning that, I just noticed because I, I put my full attention into it. I thought, right, I've got to, I've got to stay alive here. So I put my full attention into the coaching and, and did all the homework, read all the stuff, you know, started doing the all the homework and the mindfulness and all and listening to all the recordings and I really became like a coaching nerd. And I noticed straight away like me changing like instantly within a few weeks. I just felt differently. I was thinking differently. I started to to think about things in a different way, see things differently. I thought to myself, Wow, this is really this is not what I what I thought it was going to be like, and and this this um I really enjoyed doing it, and I feel like I would be good at doing it. So we did a a two week workshop in London where it was actually everyone came together from all parts of the world, and the you know the coaching people were there doing the workshop, so you got to meet them in person, and then that two day thing in person is what changed it for me because that made me think right. I really want to be a coach now. Whereas up to that point, I had no, absolutely no um, thoughts of ever being a coach. And um, I just wanted to do the, the the coaching diploma just for myself, like I said, to sort my own life out, to try and get myself out of a bad place. But that's what, that turned me into just become, thinking, right, I want to be a coach because I just felt the, the power from... The, the 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 from good coaching comes great change. You know, you can you can change someone's life so much just by guiding them in some way. Mm-hmm. And and you know you know the the type of coaching that I trained in, you don't need to be an expert at whatever the issue is that the person is coming to you with. You just have to support them and and help them to make the right decisions and sort of find the answers that lie within them. So 
it's not like you specifically have to be a, a, a specialist in that area mm-hmm. in, in human potential coaching so you, you you sort of pull the potential out of the person that's already in there you don't you don't need to be a doctor or a scientist or anything you know to specializing in that field that's the beauty of it so i suddenly realized wow i can help like so many different people in so many different areas just by coaching what's already inside them you know mm-hmm. in, 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 I'm, I'm not advising them I'm, I'm coaching them so it's very different a lot of people think life coaching is you just giving the person advice that's totally not what it is because if you were giving advice you would then need to be or, or hopefully be a specialist in that field mm-hmm. in order to then advise them on the best options but but you're not you're you're coaching them to pull the the answers out of what's already inside them and hopefully they they get forward and get to a better place mm-hmm. so that's what that's the exciting thing that i realized i was like wow i could be a coach then and everyone so many people like especially from the like the background that i'd come from People were laughing. Like, what you're going to be a coach? You couldn't even like coach yourself, and and especially because of the, you know, a lot of my behavior at the time was quite, quite bad. My drinking was out of control and everything. So the last person that anyone would want to be coached by would have been me at that time. So mm-hmm. I was then again like, like when I joined the army, out to prove everyone wrong, mm-hmm. and, and and I wanted to. You know, I, I was definitely done with my life at that point. So I had nothing to lose. So it was a, it was a joy to change everything. It was a joy to change my life. It was a joy to, to change where I lived. It was a joy to change, to get rid of all my uh, 99% of my phone book, just delete these people. And then also when you, when you do a transformational shift like that, you, you really find out who your true friends are and the people that support you and and champion you in life and 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 all the like everyone that's fake just falls away so it's quite fun to sort of see who drops off as you as you move forward because people don't like you changing people like you staying how they how they see you You, if you start suddenly changing in a way they don't like they're like oh hold on what's happened to this this guy that i knew he's different now and a lot of people don't like that, so they just fall away. So that's um that's another benefit from any kind of positive transformation is whittling out the the true uh, people that you have in your life. So I want to make the transition a little bit to um, what you do as a coach. So as a coach, um, you started focusing on helping people with ADHD because you were diagnosed at the age of forty five. So mm. Or how how can some one of the things that I, I saw that you coach on is embracing the fact that you have ADHD. How can someone embrace that they have ADHD? Well, I think with ADHD, a lot of people um, feel a bit shameful about it, and and they want to keep it hidden, and they want to try and not let on to people. I mean, they might, people might know they've got ADHD, but they don't want it to become something that is. You know, people are, are giving them special treatment because of their ADHD. So I feel like if people can embrace the ADHD and embrace their own personal traits and how it uh, affects them, 
then they can sort of take ownership of it and and not let it become a a, a label or um, something that that holds them back or or stops them from doing whatever they want to do. Mm-hmm. So instead of shaming and guilting yourself allowing yourself to say hey this is this is now a part of who i am this is a part of my identity and embracing it is the only way i'm actually going to get through it because if i don't i'm going to be defensive about it mm. yeah because you, you're never it's never going to go away it's never going to stop so mm. you you either embrace it or you're going to be fighting it forever so it, it just makes more sense to um, just take full ownership of it and gain as much awareness and understanding of it as you can and, and not let it um, hold you back in any way. So I think I saw you mention how ADHD can be a superpower. How can, can you, can you go into some detail on how ADHD can be a, a superpower for you? Well, it, it depends. I, I actually did a post today about ADHD being, you know, everyone likes to use that word superpower, superpower, but ADHD can also not be a superpower for a lot of people. It can be a huge problem mm-hmm. and hinder every every part of their life and, and cause a lot of problems. Um, I mean, there's a lot of really negative side effects of, of ADHD that can cause huge problems for people. So when so it's easy to just throw the word superpower around and, and make people think that they they can just embrace it and everything's fine. You have to do a lot of a lot of work. It, it can be it can be a superpower if you can harness it to your advantage. The times when you are unable to focus on a specific thing, then you can put your creativity into something else, or when you just have spontaneous ideas. You can then use that as a superpower to come up with, you know, positive changes in your life. Uh, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of ways where you can tap into the annoying sides of, of ADHD and turn them into a, a positive rather than constantly taking them as a negative, and then allowing it to kind of um, hinder you. Mm-hmm. I think that one of the, the things that Especially, well, certainly for me, one of the things for me with my ADHD is I, I used to always think everything was a problem. Like, oh, I can't do that because I've got ADHD. I can't. And, and then I didn't know I had ADHD at the time, but I just thought oh, I, I, I had this huge list of things in my life that I had realized I wasn't good at. And then I just sort of thought, right, I'm not good at these things now. So mm-hmm. I only did the things I was good at, which which was works to a certain degree, but that's how I found myself down this path where I was really successful at stuff that I didn't love mm. and the stuff I really wanted to do, I wasn't doing because I was, I struggled with it. So that there was the, the issue. Do you just go through life being doing things that you can do easily, or do you actually make an effort to work at the things you struggle with? Um, I, I think that as soon as I started looking at things, stopping looking at things like, well, that's going to be a problem for me and that's going to be easy and always taking the easy route. I then realized, right, if I look at the problems, the problems are all obviously the things that I need to work on. So I started to become, like get really excited about problem solving. 
And rather than fearing the things that I found difficult, then I sort of think, right, I'm going to try and become a master problem solver so I can then get past the the things that hint that that, that I stick at, that, that I struggle, like the blocks where I would normally just avoid them in my past and go around or try and go, th- go through them in some way, disassemble them and, and go through them. And that way I was able to find still sort of carry on down the path I wanted to go down rather than going down some other path, which may have may or may not have been successful, but it wouldn't have been a happy path mm-hmm. because it would have been in the inauthentic path of, of what was easiest. So, so becoming a massive, uh, a, a problem solver, you know, don't look at things as problems look at things as solution opportunities and then sort of make a game out of being a, a master problem solver. So I'd be like, right, I'm not going to let my ADHD stop me doing that because now I know if I have ADHD. I'm not going to accept that I can't do that thing that I've always avoided. So just becoming like really good at, at problem solving and not um, running away from things because you think, right, I've got ADHD, that's going to be too difficult for me. So if you have a task or something that you need to get done where you don't want to tap into that, the spontaneity of the the creativity side of ADHD, how can you go about focusing on a task when you have ADHD? And let's say you're not on medication or anything like that. Well, how, how do you focus on a task that you don't enjoy? Not necessarily that you not necessarily that you don't enjoy, but where creativity isn't necessarily the the main answer for it. It's something like maybe more uh critical thinking where you need to just focus in on a task and getting something done. I think I think that in situations like that, when there's something that may or may not be super exciting to you, might be like a tedious task or something that is a little bit, you know, not your favorite pastime there's a huge side to to adhd which is about um, being distracted i think and and the more that you've allowed yourself to be become distracted and distractible with things the minute you're doing something that you're not enjoying it can it can trigger a a feeling inside that i'm not i'm not loving doing this you know i'm not getting any kind of excitement dopamine there's no buzz coming from this and then i can just make you want to distract yourself and then that's when you lose your, lose the focus. And then it's easy to say like, oh, I can't, ADHD, you can't focus on anything. But I think a huge part of the focus is that you're just very, very used to being distracted. And anything that isn't ticking your boxes, then you're distract, trying to distract yourself away from it. Picking up your phone, doing something else. You know, if you're doing some kind of research, like a, like a, um, for some kind of um, project or something like say you're at university then you might go into you, you might think that you're actually helping yourself to do more work on the uh, project but then you might actually just be distracting yourself by doing more research but in your head oh i'm i'm, I'm doing something here but that's just another distraction because you're mm-hmm. not doing what it is that you should be doing you're just convincing yourself you are with some distraction. I'll just do some research on my phone. I'll just Google something to get another fact. I'll just do this, I'll just do that. And then you've done two hours of work on 
the thing you were wanting to work on. You've not actually made any progress with what it was you were supposed to do. You've just distracted for two hours. So, so I think that I think there's a huge a huge part of the focus is about not being so distracted. Let's say you're in that situation where you you pull up your phone and you start getting distracted on something. Do you have um, a tip or an exercise that helps pull you back into the task you're supposed to be doing? If you are, well, if you notice yourself distracting, you can sort of make your, your where, wherever it is you're trying to focus, like have a specific area where you do focus work mm. and anything that you, you know, you know, you might struggle with, you need to have a really clear space to do that work. So you can remove all distractions, make the area really clean and neat, don't have anything lying around, don't have piles of books, piles of paperwork, you know, because then you'll just start poking around at this and that and just mm -hmm. try and keep your environment really clean and, mm -hmm. and remove distractions from from your presence that you know you'll be distracted. Because, I mean, I'll, 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 I will just, I will look, for something to distract myself with if, if nothing's distracting me at the time i will search for a distraction mm -hmm. you know i will be sitting here trying to type something you know write some kind of um blog or whatever and i'll just suddenly think oh god this is like, really hurting my head so i just turn here what am I, where can i get some factoid and i'll try and pull a book out to try and find something or i'll just go in a drawer to look for a different colored pen that i need because the one i had wasn't suiting me anymore so just the more the more distractions that you can remove mm -hmm. also on your phone you can you can strip your phone down and, and remove so much crap off your phone that you don't need mm -hmm. remove all the unnecessary apps and things that distract and also also put your phone and or, or and your laptop as well you can you can put that stuff into work mode so it doesn't allow you to distract yourself with stuff you can, you know, and block time, block time off and say, right, on this, in this hour, I, I, I just do this work. And then I know, I know that that might sound to all the people out there with ADHD, like, yeah, well, that's the whole point. I can't just block an hour off and do the work, but there are other ways you can, you know, you can block the time off, block the time off, split the time up into smaller increments within that time use physical timers so you're not using your phone take take little breaks regularly so you're not sitting there you know it's better to do so you have four, you've got four hours and you want to work on some you're writing a book and you want to do four hours on it much better to sit down and do little increments of time mm -hmm. that in that four hours than to sit down and say right i've got four hours to work because then you'll sit down and do nothing yeah, because you're sitting there like oh, I've got four hours of so much work, and then you will do nothing because you'll just be procrastinating at how much, how long that four hours is going to take and how hard it's going to be. But if you just say, right, I'm going to do fifteen minutes, ten minutes, uh, twenty five minutes, thirty minutes, whatever it is, and then just keep repeating that, mm -hmm. then it makes it much easier. Before that you know it. Yeah, before you, you know, before you know it, you might not have done four hours of solid work, but you've at least done two and a half hours work mm -hmm. out of that time. Whereas if you'd said, right, I'm going to do four hours work and put a four hour timer on, you get you get to 
the end of that time and i guarantee you've done far less than if you've done that in tiny little increments mm -hmm. it sounds like uh i don't know if i'm saying right that podermo effect pomodoro yes. pomodoro pomodoro technique yeah where it's yeah. 25 minutes of work and then you take a five minute break then you go right back into yeah. it 25 minutes of work five minute break yeah. And it just helps yeah. you, keeps you on task. And then it also helps with memory and retention at the same time. So if you're studying something, if you're whatever that is, like it helps seal it into your brain a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then you can also do like a tiny little task in between. So you're getting something else done. Mm -hmm. You know, like you do 25 minutes of writing your book. Then you go and put the washing on. Mm -hmm. then you go back you do 25 more minutes of the book then you go and um empty the dishwasher mm -hmm. so you 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 fill all the little gaps in with more stuff then you get you get things done mm -hmm. rather than sitting at your desk for four hours procrastinating because you don't want to do four hours of work so we're uh, coming up near the end of the episode so i want to ask you three final questions and these questions sure. are about the podcast. So the podcast is live, love, and grow. So each question is going to be about living, loving, and growing. So the right. first the first question is, what advice can you share about how to create a life that leaves a positive impact on the world? I suppose, again, um, just do your best. I suppose it just goes back to that. Mm -hmm. What I said earlier, do your best and and stay as true to yourself as you can do your best and like what you value just be as authentic as you can and walk your talk and don't listen to what other people have to say just do what do what you know is good okay that's a good answer yeah i mean exactly what you said earlier comes right back into the end what are some practical ways people can cultivate self-love giving yourself time every day to reflect on what what you've done well and, and what you've I suppose what you've not done well as well but just reflect reflect on yourself and be be kind be really kind to yourself a lot of, I think there's a lot of people these days aren't kind to themselves not only to not kind to other people but they're not kind to themselves mm -hmm. just be more kind to yourself and more forgiving and also learn to take on love and from other people. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are closed off to that. Just open your heart and be more be more kind and loving. Great answer. So what strategies or practices do you recommend for people looking to enhance their self-awareness or self-reflection? Mindfulness, I, I think, would be the... I know that's the uh, word gets chucked around like mad these days but mm -hmm. yeah mindfulness just taking time to to check in with yourself physically mentally to just keep steering yourself down the right path i think i think mindfulness is is really important you can you can a lot, a lot of people think oh well i, I can't meditate because i i, I can't not even people with ADHD, most people think, oh, I can't meditate, I can't shut my mind off, I can't focus, I can't, I can't sit still, I can't do anything. So, uh, you know, I'm not a monk, so I, I can't do mindfulness. But mindfulness is not about that. And, you know, meditation is not about that. It's about just being, having awareness 
Mm-hmm. And it, you don't have to sit there happy, smiling away. You can sit there meditating, being very unhappy. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just checking in on yourself and 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 having awareness mm-hmm. of, of how you're feeling and what's going on inside and what you're thinking, what your what your body is saying. You know, the mind and body are are fully connected. You're not just a little brain being carried around in a transport or you are one one unit mm-hmm. so you need to feel right from every part of your body from your feet right up to the top of your head how you're feeling mm-hmm. and, and if you're not feeling good then just check in on that like all right i don't feel good i feel anxious i feel unhappy i feel whatever i feel i feel like i can't focus i feel like i can't sit still that's still being mindful and, and meditating so you, you don't, you just need to change the way you think about it, that it's about sitting there totally zen and, and happy. That's not what it's about. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, more, the more you practice it, the more you, you um, it, it stops feeling odd and you, and you can just do it more. It just mm-hmm. feels alien to begin with because you're not used to just sitting there checking in on yourself. Mm-hmm. So... Just, just stick with it, and no matter how weird it feels, just keep, keep pushing through. And then before you know it, you'll look forward to having that ten minutes in the morning just to sit there and be mindful. So, I, I Steve, I want to thank you for taking the time out to be on the podcast with me. I really appreciate it. I love hearing the stories of how of of your successes, and then just learning in general things I didn't know before. And I hope everybody else does too. How can people connect with you? Um, well, that would be LinkedIn. Definitely on LinkedIn. Uh, I, don't, I don't do Facebook uh, or TikTok. So so LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram as well, but I, I, I just kind of stick my nose in there and, and come off. So LinkedIn. Okay. I, I'm, happily, I'm happily chatting on there all day. And how can we, uh, how can the audience support you on your journey? I suppose just following me on LinkedIn and, and watching my content, getting in, you know, speaking to me, getting conversations started. Doesn't have to be about ADHD. I'm happy to speak about any sort of coaching or a lot of you know male related issues. I'm just happy to have a community on there and, and um I, I love I love chatting to everyone on there. Sounds great. Uh, I hope um, I'll have all those uh, links in the show notes for everybody. And once again, I just want to thank you and show appreciation and acknowledgement for you taking the time out to come be on here. Pleasure, Matt. Thank you for having me. It's been a really fun hour. It's flown by. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Choose to Live, Love, and Grow podcast. I look forward to seeing you next week. Don't forget to live, love, and grow to be the best version of you. Oh, and one more thing. If you or a young man that you know suffer from victim mindset or are not reaching their fullest potential, then visit mattfindora.com to see how we can work together to become the best version of ourselves. That's mattfindora.com. The link will be in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe. Thank you and have an outstanding day.